Welcome to a special edition of The Bounce Podcast. I'm Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm a board member with the Great Commission Collective. GCC is the organization that makes this podcast available. And our goal at GCC and through this podcast is to help plant churches and strengthen leaders. We want to see the gospel go forth through strong, healthy churches. And that means not only planting them, but making sure that the leaders who are leading them are well supported and have what they need to be effective leaders. You can find out more about the Great Commission Collective by going to gcc.org. This is a special edition of our podcast that we're releasing because of a new book that is out from our president, Dave Harvey. Dave gives leadership to the Great Commission Collective. He's a well-known author and speaker, and he has been engaged and involved with church planting throughout his ministry life for more than three decades now. He's written a book called Stronger Together, Seven Partnership Virtues and the Vices that Subvert Them. This is a book that's all about why it's important for churches to be linked together in gospel ministry with other like-minded churches. And Dave and I had an opportunity recently to talk about what was behind this new book. Dave, welcome. Nice to have you on The Bounce. And before we dive into talking about your book, I don't know how many of the pastors who are in the Great Commission Collective listen regularly to The Bounce. I think we need to start assessing uh, in, increased dues from those who aren't listening regularly. We, we can but, but I'm, and I don't know how many, <laughs> I don't know how many people outside of the Great Commission Collective are tuning in and joining us for these conversations as well. But for people who have found this podcast, maybe it's been recommended by a friend or they've tuned in, but they don't really know a lot about GCC. Can you give us your thirty-second answer to what is GCC? I'd love to. Yes. Uh, and I said I, we could triple them because uh, we don't do dues. But uh, <laughs> um, yes, so, so Great Commission Collective exists for two reasons, to plant churches and to strengthen leaders. And on the, on the planting side, that means we're giving ourselves to multiplication, multiplication uh, within the local church to help leaders multiply leaders and elders and planters and churches and, uh, and networks as well. And, uh, and we have the privilege of, of not only doing training in that, but, but funding that as well. And then on the strengthening side, it means that we're not ending our, our kind of, um, partnership with simply planting churches, nor are we simply defining success by planting churches, but we're we're along for the ride, the long ride, the important ride in, in the growth and development of the local church, where we're walking alongside of, of pastors and planters and leaders and pluralities, uh, training and coaching and, and, and caring. So it's it's planting churches and strengthening leaders. And we're doing it domestically and we're doing it internationally. And I'm excited about how we are seeing traction happen with planting, but how we're also seeing guys who are, are feeling supported and loved and encouraged and continuing to be equipped even after the plant has happened. Yeah, we're, we consider the hub of, of GCC North America, which is both the United States and Canada, and, uh, and, and that comprises right now 90 or so churches. And, uh, but we also have the privilege of working with churches that are clustered in places around the world, 
that are planting churches all over the place. And part of our role is to come alongside of leaders that are doing that so that we can help them set up church planting networks and allow them to speed along their multiplication, but also not to compromise care in the way they're expanding. Some of our listeners know you because of your background as an author. You've written on marriage, a couple of books on marriage. When sinners say I do, I still do. You've written on the subject of ambition. You've written on how a, an individual can know whether he's called to full-time vocational ministry, how you make that evaluation. You've written on forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean, I could go through the catalog of books you've written. The book we're going to be talking about today, which is new, is really connected with who we are as as a ministry at GCC. And, and this comes out of a passion in your own heart to see churches aligned with other churches, because as Ecclesiastes says, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. We are stronger and better together, right? This is an expression of a burden that I've carried for, for over three decades. So I've been working in this space. I've been for many years a pastor, but also working within networks and, and church, the church planting world alongside of that for many years. Now I'm just doing the church planting work, but I've been doing it for a long time. And I've, I've determined that I want to give the rest of my life to doing this. And I, I wanted to take what I've learned over the last three decades or so and, and try to distill it down into a, a book that I thought would be helpful. Because in part, I, Bob, I, I wanted to make a case for why partnerships, and when I say that, I mean the practice of of churches expressing interdependence with one another, why that must be a theological conviction, because there's not a, a network or a denominational leader who, who who's listening right now who hasn't had the experience of being appro approached by like a potential planter or a potential church saying something to, akin to, so if if we join, what do we get? And, you know, what's what's the return on investment here? And and that's a legitimate question. And, you know, that goes to stewardship. Under I understand that question. Just like any pastor knows that a local church does not exist first simply to satisfy ROI, uh, partnerships do not exist first for that reason either. They exist because as we study New Testament missiology, as we study Paul, as we look at and examine how the Great Commission was applied in the New Testament, we see that it was churches partnering around gifted people that resulted in the mission moving forward. And so this really goes to the center of how of how the gospel goes forward, Bob. And that, that's a vision that, you know, that, that that's worth writing about. It goes forward first through the local church. And that's that's really the starting point here. As you talk about partnerships with other churches, you're acknowledging that it is the church that God has raised up to be the vehicle for gospel transmission, gospel transformation. This is all about local churches. It's about local churches partnering together, but it's also about the importance of identifying people that are called to help them to do that. So in groups where, for instance, the, the local church has no understanding of the grid I was just talking about for New Testament missions, then that, that gifted people side, because what, what I said was it was churches 
partnering around gifted people and and in and through gifted people and that that resulted in the mission moving forward that gifted people part bob is is a really important part of the component a really important part of the uh, of of the mission that often gets overlooked and when the local church has, doesn't have an understanding of the importance of that role people who feel called to that um, they feel called not only to the church, but also to extend the church to, to help leaders, to serve pastors, to plant churches, to, to create ministries. But they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with mm-hmm. these desires they have that just make no sense. Because in their thinking and in the way that they've been oriented, the church is the only legitimate expression for that calling and it's the exclusive venue for applying that calling. I, I think part of what I'm trying to say in, in the book is that we've got to have an understanding that that when we look at the New Testament, there is this kind of apostolic function. Um, so, you know, like w- what if maybe there are not apostles because that creates so much, so much of a mess, uh, but also, you know, apostles had distinct roles in the New Testament. But what if there was this apostolic function, which has to be filled today because it's a vital part of the mission going forward. Part of my experience with this, Bob, is not simply, you know, seeing it as I study not not only Paul, but Paul's 38 helpers, but also just the number of times I have met pastors who have felt the the call to be a pastor is an honor, but they feel this undeniable summons to the field to plant churches or to help churches plant churches or to help leaders reproduce or to take what God has done within their local church and to reproduce that in other places. And and those guys feel guilty because they feel like they're betraying their local church in pursuit of that call. And then the elders around them, they don't have a grid for that. And so they feel like, hey, our lead pastor, I mean, he's just being selfishly ambition, or he's a glory hound, or he just can't be satisfied and content in in leading the church. And yet, I think when we begin to wrap our brain around this reality, then both the team and the church begin to understand that, hey, we can participate in a mission in powerful ways. We We can be a part of this apostolic function. And in doing that, that adds something significant back into our local church. And that's where if every church is trying to do execute toward planting churches and and uh, being involved in in mission sending, you're doing that independently on your own. That's that's a challenge because a church of of 150, 200 people, you've got enough just to, to manage your own flock, to, to, to think about how you're going to set up mission vetting and who you're going to send and how you're going to support them. And do, are you the sole means of support for the, I mean, it's overwhelming. And a lot of guys will just shut down at that point and say, okay, I, I can't really do anything until I get bigger. And you're saying when we come together, now all of a sudden we can do things that separately we couldn't do on our own. In an attempt to protect a robust ecclesiology, people confuse the priority with the, of the local church with the exclusivity of the local church. And so it's not simply the church exclusively. It's, it's we must always move forward in mission 
and in life and in thinking about sanctification and thinking about conflict, just with the church in view. So it's the priority of the local church, but it's apparent in reading the New Testament that there were other ministries that were the result of churches and actually reproduced churches. They, they, they resulted in churches, but they seem to c- come in the church and sometimes they're sent from the church. They, they uh, you know, they operated outside of the church in ways. You know, I would advocate that in this day where you don't have the kind of apostolic ministry that we have back then, that they, they must be accountable to a local church. But we've got to recognize that there are people that are gifted that way and not only identify and release them, but have the church recognize the beauty of that, the importance of that, and then how exciting it is that the church gets to be a part of that. Isn't this uh, an argument for denominationalism? Should churches be a part of a a national or international denomination because that's going to fulfill the mandate that we're talking about here? Every denomination started as a movement, which eventually became a form of network, which then had to decide whether they were going to move on and organizing and whether they were capable of doing that in ways that that could preserve the best of what they were and last over a period of time. Because let's face it, you know, when you talk about movements, you're talking about basically uh, sometimes not even one generation entities, but, uh, you know, so, sometimes they're, they're months, they're uh, Occupy Wall Street or something like that. They exist for with different strengths than networks do. And, and networks tend to fill the space um, where, where, in particular, church planting and missions and the kind of nimble ministry necessary in order to do that becomes really important. People who are lay leaders, volunteers, or members of a local church will sometimes hear about this this idea of aligning with other churches to advance the gospel, but they're looking around and going, we need we need new tables back in the Sunday school room, or we need a playground out back, or you know, pick pick your project, and they'll think, we're going to prioritize some kind of mission work somewhere else that we never go to or never see over what God's doing here in our own backyard. You've heard this where, where churches will go, yeah, we'd love to do this, but we don't have enough budget to bring on the student pastor that we desperately need. I think that in part, there's a misunderstanding of of what church health really looks like, Bob. I think I think there's a lot of churches that define success as a local church completely outside of, of the idea of mission. And in doing so, don't recognize how, how vital mission is to local church success, how there are certain things for the local church, certain nutrients, certain, you know, a certain vitality, which can only be contributed into it through the sacrifices that are made in and through mission. And, and inevitably, you know, what, what happens is, uh, you know, a, a church gets planted by a, a church planter. And this is really like in the, in the church planting world, this is one of the, one of the common things. This is one of the mysteries of, of the church planting world is, is that the church planter goes out excited about church planting, uh, thrilled at the sacrifices that have been made on his behalf. And if there's other people that have gone with him on behalf of them as well, 
and and begins to enjoy the fruit of mission, that church gets connected, that church gets established, that church begins to grow, that church begins to organize. And then suddenly, you know, there is a shift of attention. There is this, um, uh, this, this draw that kind of begins to move the gaze of the church and the pastor inward. And it, it, it is a powerful tractor beam that happens in almost every case, unless you have somebody that's wired this way or the convictions run so deep, it's almost like human nature that, the, that it gets established, it begins to grow, and then it becomes more about the entity itself. And the, the gazing outward at the mission, the idea of multiplication and reproduction is, um, it seems like too much of a sacrifice. But what's given up there is, is we don't recognize how, how essential that is for renewing the church, how essential it is for uh, nutri- bringing nutrients into the church. And, and uh, you know, for, just for, for a local church to thrive, Bob, it's got to exist for something outside of itself. It, it, must, it must do maintenance. It must do care. Yes. But it must exist for something outside of itself as well. And I'm not simply talking about vertical God. Yes. Amen. It must exist for God. But there's got to be something moving it outward that, uh, that inspires it and that brings mission and vision into the heart of the people and helps Christians to become global Christians. And, and the pastor who has that burden in his own heart needs to be casting that vision to his leadership, to his congregation, so that they catch that vision as well. And if the pastor doesn't have that in his heart, he just says, I just want to preach and, and do disciple making here, and, and I'm just content with what's going on here. He's got to recognize that he is leaving out, like you said, essential nutrients in the spiritual growth of his own people and what God is calling him to in pastoral ministry. You said something in the book that was one of those, I stopped and I thought, oh, I don't know that I've ever thought about this before. Little thought experiment. You said, think about the, the five or 10 largest churches in your community and ask yourself the question, how many of those churches have been around for 50 years or more? a hundred years or more. And I stopped and brought up the list of the big five in our community or the big 10, whatever you want to do. And I thought, huh, yeah, I, I know when most of these churches got planted and it was in, in the same generation I'm living in. Yeah. There are very few that got planted before I was born. And then here, here was the shocker. So I thought, well, what does that mean for the church we just planted? How how long should we? I I planted this thinking it's going to be a gospel fortress five hundred years from now in the city, and and you're saying now you need to get rid of that that pipe dream. Talk about that, will you? It's such an important question, Bob. Uh, you know because th- this is very sobering, but each and every leader I think has to come to terms with the reality that churches have life cycles. They're 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 born, they they live to bear fruit. And, and they die. Each one dies. It's the, you know, the, the church universal must be distinguished from the church local. And so, you know, you think about the churches the apostles planted are all gone. The church, Jesus' brother 
led, his gone, the seven churches in Revelation, gone, great churches throughout hist history. It, you know, it, it appears like it was never God's intention for a local church to be this ongoing entity. Um, and a lot of times this is such a big paradigm, paradigm adjuster, Bob, because, because um, it, it challenges leaders to think about their motivation it challenges pastors and planters to think about why they're actually doing this, because our task is not about building a monument to our leadership that lasts for centuries. It's basically, you know, we're called to flourish in the time that God has given us and in the season that we're called to lead. Uh, but in order to flourish, and this kind of bridges back into what we were talking about, in order to flourish, we've got to think hard then if there is a life cycle what does the season of fertility look like and how are we supposed to capitalize that and, and, and how do we recognize that and how do we make full use of that season for the purpose of multiplication? Because this is the thing, Bob, is that if there are life cycles, multiplication and, and mission are the, are the ingredients that extend the life cycle of the church so that it can last longer and longer and and we can get it into the hands of the next generation. It's interesting just as you're talking I'm trying to think what are the characteristics of those churches that outlive the the common life cycle and I tend to think it's well if you replace a really dynamic out front leader with another really dynamic out front leader that's your that's your formula to keep things going you just have to find those guys and keep putting them in in the platform and that'll keep your church vibrant and alive and yet even with those churches many of them renew recycle that the people who are there under the old guy aren't still there under the new guy it's just there's there's kind of this turnover that happens this has kind of been one of those things i've started chewing on since i read your book and and how does that make us rethink gospel ministry and part of it is we, we've got to be built around a mission not a person or a personality and, and recognize that that there are certain things that do extend the life cycle of the church and renewal is one of those and when i say renewal I'm talking about the renewal that comes through mission. Now, that's not the only renewal, but but that's a really important one in the book because I think that one gets overlooked or it's easy to dismiss that because of the sacrifices, the money, or the claim that it makes upon the church. But the reality is, is that multiplication actually becomes a renewal factor that extends the life of, of the church. And that's why the, the irony in the church planting world is how many church planters will go out having planted a church, having enjoyed the privilege of that, having experienced the blessing of that, the sacrifices of other people, but, but that conviction diminishes as they become more established. And, and part of what I'm trying to say in the book is guys, you know, ladies, um, mission is what keeps the dynamic of sacrifice in the church and mission and sacrifice is what builds life and vitality and continues to extend life and vitality in, into the church. Because, <clears throat> Bob, you and I have both been around now long enough now to know that it, as churches grow, there is this kind of, um, of sterility uh, where where the more the ministry grows, the more the staff energy um, 
bends inward, spins inward. And, 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 and the vision and the energy of the leadership becomes confined to servicing what they've built. And, and, and what, be, what faith begins to look like is faith begins to look like what we can do in and for the church and not how the church can be scattered into the field. And that's how churches become sterile. And when local, be church, when local churches become sterile, they, they're deprived of the life and the vitality that comes through, that can only come through, through, through missions. So one of my favorite quotes, I, I've used this probably too often, but it's a quote that I, I first read somewhere in a John Piper book. But, but, but Bob, he said, no local church can go without the encouragement and nourishment that comes to it by sending away its best people. And, and it's just one of those like um, paradigm triggering things like, okay, wait, hold on. You mean there's an encouragement and a nourishment that comes by making that kind of sacrifice? And, and, and Piper's saying, yeah, actually, no, no local church can go without that. I've said for years to our congregation, I should be able to come up to everybody in the congregation and ask you two questions. Uh, who is pouring into you? And you should be able to give me names. And I said, it's best if they're living people who you can actually pick up the cell phone and call them or get together for lunch with them as opposed to a book or a tape somewhere. Who's pouring into you? And then the second question is, who are you pouring into? You, you should be drink in, pour out. That's the rhythm of the, the Christian life. And I said, if, if all you're doing is drinking in, what you'll have is a swamp. If there's not water going all the way through it, and swamps get stinky and algae and dead because the water doesn't flow through them. I think the same thing applies to churches, where if all we're doing is focused on our puddle in the kingdom and saying, we're just going to protect our puddle, it's if, if you don't have life flowing out of, of what you're doing, going in all kinds of directions, you're going to find yourself uh, in an unhealthy place pretty soon. Yeah. And it goes for, uh, you know, it's just, it's fundamental discipleship, which results in multiplication on every level. So, so at first we're simply looking to multiply disciples, uh, you know, like, like I've been over the past few months meeting with a guy going through a book and, and it is such life to me to, mm -hmm. to meet with this guy and to talk through some of the things that we're learning together, some of the ways it's applying, uh, to be able to acknowledge our weaknesses together. Uh, now, I'm facilitating the discussion, uh, and I'm pouring in, in in a bit, and and it's such life to me. But here's the thing, Bob. We're just about to start the last chapter, and so last time we were together, I said, okay, listen, here's an important question, and the question is, who in your relational field, who in your network of relationships can you now turn and, and, and walk through this book with them so that you can exactly. enjoy with someone else the very thing you and I are enjoying here and you can pass it along because there is such a there's such a, a way of thinking about content where we just accumulate and, and we don't transfer. And so we're trying to, you know, get this multiplication DNA, the, the genetics of multiplication into people at all the way down at the level of discipleship.
so that when the idea of multiplying a church comes along, it's viewed as a, a wonderful thing and not a threat to our existence. It makes perfect sense at that point. So if somebody is thinking, okay, our church, we planted this church, we're an independent non-denom church, we don't, we're not a part of, uh, of any organization, we're kind of on our own, maybe I've got some friends, or, or maybe this other church helped plant us, but we're, we're on our own with our own leadership structure. But I hear what you're saying, and I'm thinking it would be good and healthy for us to find a network that we could affiliate with. How do you find that network? How do you evaluate that network? I mean, and, and we're not trying to say, here's our commercial for the GCC, which you and I both uh, are, are very grateful for, but there are a lot of good networks. How do you decide wh who's your tribe and who you should be aligned with? And you and I didn't discuss this beforehand, so I, I didn't know about this question, and you don't, you may not even know about this piece, but I just finished a uh, uh, a, a short paper. It, it's a paper of about about six pages, and then it's been reduced into a kind of blog as well. It's basically titled um, "How How a Pastor Can Help a Church." Uh, walk through a partnership, walk through considering a partnership or something like that. I actually don't remember the uh, the exact title, but I often don't remember the names of my grandchildren either. So, um, <clears throat> but, but so we have this tool that we're, we're developing, which, which I intentionally developed it so that it wasn't just this internal thing, but it could be of use to anybody. And so maybe we can throw that into the show notes, but, uh, the kind of things that it's it's talking about, Bob, is is the important for the importance for going back to the first point for, for the for not only the pastor but the elders to to come to a theological conviction on the importance of this connection that this isn't simply something that's incidental for the church but it's it's essential for the church and that the mission that results from it isn't simply something that uh, is optional but that we really need it and oftentimes these entities like <clears throat> like an acts 29 or like send or or like GCC you know we exist to help to connect churches so that they can enjoy the the blessing that comes from that and so the pastor often gets that the lead pastor often gets that before the elders, and if he doesn't lead the elders in an intentional way and expose the elders to the material that he's receiving and to some of the experiences he's having, then when he introduces it, it's just like, oh, this is just another thing we're going to do, and this is going to cost us money. Well, no, the pastor has to walk them through a process where he's orienting them, and they're having a chance to discuss and to look at Scripture and and debate and ask questions and then get an get a network representative on the phone and, and interact with them as well. So getting getting that information in the hands of the elders and allowing that to, that to kind of leaven everyone so that then you're in a position to go as a team to the church and do the same thing and not just spring this on a church, but walk mm -hmm. the church through the importance of the convictions and how you arrived at the convictions and why they're important for the future of the church and, uh, you know, fold it into a preaching series or do a series on it. But, but you know, lead from the pulpit and then lead in personal relationship and, and talk about it. And I think those kinds of things, people catch that. They catch the heart. And, but more importantly, they see it clearly in Scripture. And it helps them to value 
what it is that that these groups bring to local churches. And the guy who would say, okay, I, I got all I can say grace over just managing my church. We're a part of a denomination. We take an offering once a year. We send it for church planting, and we, we pray. And I, I on that particular Sunday, I talk about that and how important it is. But that's really all the attention we're giving to it. I'm, I'm hearing you say there may be some nutrients missing from your diet that you need to think about adding in for the health of your local congregation. Yeah, I'm saying first, <clears throat> I'm, I'm delighted to hear that you're part of a denomination and that God has given you that vision and I trust that's serving you and, and supplying you in some way. And then I'm saying, thank you for leading the church to take up an offering. Um, and th that is a legitimate way to participate in mission. Money is a way to express a faith toward God and a commitment to mission. So there, that is a step. And we have to celebrate that step. But <clears throat> I'm not sure that that step penetrates deeply enough to shape the culture that extends the life in the way that that mission and commitment and multiplication and particularly church planting does. You know, one of the things that that a church finds, Bob, is that, you know, they can be stalled or they can be in crisis. And and yet something like a church plant where they identify somebody ideally from the church who is qualified, they get him trained, his wife trained, they, they begin to pray for him, they come around him, and the excitement and the enthusiasm that comes as he emerges and is sent out, and then the reports come back, boy, I just don't know anything that reproduces what happens in a church like that experience of, of planting someone out. And you do that a few times and you have these guys coming back and reporting on what God's doing. And the church realizes our sacrifices, our, our relationships, what we've built, our commitment, even our model is making a difference beyond just our little local church. We, we love that and we love being a part of this. Well, think of Third John verse four, which you and I have applied often in in terms of family relationships. It's the verse where John says, "I have no greater joy than this to know that my children are walking in the truth." He's not talking about his biological children. He, he's not talking about his kids. He's talking about his spiritual children, those who he sent out, who have planted churches, who are walking in the truth. He says. I have no greater joy than to know they're thriving. And so if, if we want to be excited and have joy, send some folks out, watch God uh, light a fire underneath what they're doing and, and start something. Yeah, those reports back will, will be such a ministry to your own soul and such an encouragement to your own soul as a pastor. Yeah. And I would also say <clears throat> one distinction that might be helpful to make is that there's a big difference between the life that comes to a church by growing a large church. And let, let's face it, there is a certain quality of um, dynamic and excitement that comes from that. But that does not necessarily have longevity. So let's mm -hmm. make the distinction between that and the life that comes to a church when a church is giving itself away, when a church is sowing into the mission, when a church is, um, is making sacrifices, and that begins to define the culture of the church, and God begins to bless that in ways 
that are remarkable. And I think that a lot of times the growth itself of the church becomes an example of of how the mission is successful in the church. And and I don't want to deny that ground. I, I think if sometimes folks are out in their community, they're inviting people and praise God. That's an important part of it. And uh, and I thank God for that. But there's nothing that should replace the importance of actually training leaders, sending them out, having to repl- having those holes open, having to bring up other leaders, men and women into those slots. And, and what that does in the ecosystem, Bob, is it, it becomes transformational. But also, here's the thing, is that we're, we're not simply defining success by the, the growth of our church in a given season. We're defining success by the ability to get the to get the gospel into the hands of the next generation. And in order to do that, we've got to be training up leaders and understanding the importance of giving ministry away. Well, at the heart of mission is giving ministry away, giving people away, giving money away. And God moves towards that and, and blesses that, Bob. That's where we'll wrap up. That's a great landing point. Great conclusion. Anything we left out I'll, in the show notes, I'll come back around, mention the tool and the link to that and uh, talk about that and then uh, can point to other things there too. Well, that paper that uh, I mentioned, how a pastor can help lead a church uh, to evaluate a yeah. partnership. Is, is that that's different than the, the matrix tool? It is. Yeah. Okay. It is. We'll and, mention and, both of those. And Brendan would know. Uh, and would would know where that's posted and and there's a short version version a long version you know we can you can decide how to how to manage that well again we've been listening to a conversation with dave harvey the president of the great commission collective talking about his new book stronger together seven partnership virtues and the vices that subvert them i want you to check out the show notes today because not only is there a link to more information about Dave's book. We have links to other books that Dave has written, but we also have resources designed to help churches think about partnerships. There are some assessments and some tools available. All of that's in the show notes here for The Bounce Podcast. And if you know someone who is a pastor or a church planter, you may want to pass this episode along to them so that they can be thinking about why it's important theologically and pragmatically for us to be linked together in gospel ministry with other churches. We really are stronger together. Again, we wanna ask you to leave a review of The Bounce, like The Bounce on whatever podcast platform you're listening. That helps us get word out to other pastors and planters and leaders. And if you know someone who is in that category, share with them about this podcast so they can benefit from these conversations as well. And if you're not currently subscribed to The Bounce so you can get our regular episodes, you can do that again on your podcast platform. I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you next time for our next regularly scheduled episode of The Bounce.